0: Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Thank you, Pastor Chris. I was a little worried uh, that you weren't going to introduce me after that. So. Uh, <laughs> Looking for, is someone else here? I thought I was preaching today. Anyway, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I am Pastor Joel. I'm from uh, Radiant. I'm the lead pastor there, and uh, I've met some of you and seen some of you over these last few months. Uh, It was great to worship with you at Reformation. And then Pastor Chris and I co led uh, a prayer class together in, in the fall, and some of you were at that class. And just as we've been developing this relationship and talking more and more about ministry in the church, especially in what we thought was post COVID, uh, the post-COVID world, but we found out uh, that we're still in the COVID world. So we actually haven't reached the post-COVID phase yet. Uh, that that we had a lot of commonalities, a lot of uh, ways of thinking about the church and the future of the church and the direction of the church. Um, uh, in, in in very similar ways and uh, and so we began to, to talk about maybe doing this uh, you know finding more opportunities to partner and what seemed like a very logical uh, time to do that was the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after New Year especially where they fell this year that that oftentimes maybe those are times that people uh, are traveling still or, or maybe because they came to Christmas Eve service they don't come to the uh, the, the Sunday after Christmas uh, service that you know we it would might be a good opportunity to bring the, the two communities together, but anytime you start to do that, one of the things, one of the barriers uh, can be uh, what you're preaching on, and so we, we started talking about that, and he says, well, I don't know what you're planning, but we're going to be going through Luke next year. And I said, well, that's kind of funny because we're going through Luke next year. Um, Are you using And He says, no, no, no. We were kind of, I'm designing my own thing. And I said, well, I'm designing my own thing. And and what are you doing for Advent? He says, well, we're actually just going to take the four stories that lead up to Christmas. And we're going to take each of those through uh, each week of Advent. And uh, again, you can guess what I was doing. Now. I didn't just do that because Chris did it, all right? I actually had planned that. Uh, and then it was, okay, well, what about afterwards? Because, you know, you know what, what are you gonna do there? Well, the first Sunday we're gonna do Jesus presented the temple and the second Sunday we're gonna do the boy Jesus. And I said, that lines up exactly with what we had planned uh, already. And so we can see that obviously uh, God was a, a part of our planning and and uh, what we wanted to do. And that's what I want to talk today about is, is, uh, is that story from uh, Luke chapter 2 of the boy Jesus uh, in the temple. Now, how many of you out there have uh, children or maybe raised kids in the past? Uh, has anybody, okay, maybe, you know, 12-year-olds. Anybody around 12-year-olds? Pre-teens? We have a few of them out there. You're not going to like this sermon. Or actually this part of the sermon I should probably say, or maybe you've worked with kids in the past, or you have grandkids that are this age, um, twelve years old. Actually, isn't the bad age, right? So Everett, you're still okay. Uh, Hazel, uh, you're, this is the part you're not going to like because really this is about the time of life in in our world today that you know you, you kind of hit those preteen years that kids kind of have that I- that that idea that their parents really don't know anything, right? <laughs> Hazel, do you don't agree? Don't that's it's just, we, we, they kind of get that attitude. Like, no matter what you say, you, you're dumb, right? You're, you just, you don't make any sense. That, that They really learn the eye roll about this age. Like, everything you do or you, you say, you know, they, they kind of roll their eyes at you. Um, I've got two kids now that are both in their 20s. I think they're still in this phase sometimes. But... You know, we, even though that might be true of, and it's not true of every 12-year-old or 13-year-old, but let's just say as a group, all right? Sometimes they can be that way. We don't want that to color our, our way of hearing uh, this passage from Luke because Jesus isn't necessarily like that, okay? This isn't a story of Jesus being, you know, so, uh, so much like us, you know, as, as God incarnate, becoming like uh, a human being that, that he becomes an obnoxious 12-year-old. Alright, that's not the point of the story. There's a lot more going on here. But, but the age, as we'll see, is an important part of the story. Because especially for Jesus, this is going to be the time of his life where he begins to transition into uh, adulthood. And if we even think about our Jewish brothers and sisters today, that, you know, they, that 13 years old, celebrating the bar mitzvah, that's a, a time where they are recognized as adults within the community, And that's really what we're seeing within this passage today. So turn with me to to Luke chapter 2, and we'll pick up at verse 41. "'Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends.' When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you.' "'Why were you searching for me?' he asked. "'Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house?' but they did not understand what he was saying to them then he went down to, to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them but his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men pastor jude uh, t- shared with us last week that jesus came from a, a very devout family And we saw that in the way in which they they went and offered the sacrifices as they were supposed to do after his birth. And we're also told here at the very beginning that every year his family would make the the travel from, from Nazareth, their hometown in Galilee, to Jerusalem. Likely three times a year. It was required in the law that Jewish males, if they were able, were to travel to Jerusalem for the three major feasts. And the feast of the Passover was one of them. And, and we're, we're told here again that as was their custom, this is what they did. They took their whole family, their relatives, their friends, probably a very large group of people all from Nazareth, made this three, four, five day journey down to Jerusalem and then stayed for a week to celebrate this important event. And, and Luke has made this emphasis of, of, of just how devout and righteous uh, Jesus' family has been. Uh, who they are, and 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 again, the way in which they live out their faith and their expression of righteousness uh, to God, is is through the obedience of the law. But his focus now begins to shift away from just all the circumstances around Jesus, his family and 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 relatives, and and these uh, these customs that they they follow, and and he begins to focus now on the person of Jesus. One of the things that we like to talk about, and I I tell people uh, who are studying scripture or teaching scripture, that every time we come to a passage, we really should be asking ourselves, you know, where are we and how did we get here? Um, What's, what's, the, what's the author trying to say here? When, especially when you think about those days and those times, there were, there were no wasted words. There were no wasted stories. Luke had a, a finite, uh, really, uh, uh, a scroll to work with. That, and if you look at both the Luke and Acts, which are one story, or really told in two volumes, uh, each fills a scroll. And so this was, he chose his stories carefully, especially understanding that uh, other Gospels had, all, had already been written. And so when we look at a story like this, we have, to, we, have to look, we have to ask those questions. What is it doing here? What's the author trying to tell us? Why is this story here? Why is it included? This is the only story that we have in all of the gospels about Jesus, Jesus b- before his earthly ministry, b- between his birth and, and, and his showing up 30 years later to preach the kingdom of God. It's the only words that we have recorded of Jesus prior to his ministry. And it's one sentence, essentially, or two sentences. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And so I think we need to focus, again, very carefully on what Luke is doing here, or at least what we think Luke is trying to do. And again, the, the devoutness of the family is, a, is an important backdrop, but it really begins to shift now to the devoutness of Jesus and who he is and the recognition. When we look back and we, th- we think through all those stories that we've heard over the last four or five weeks, we heard great things about who this Jesus was going to be. Luke has been setting the stage for his ministry by telling us that he is, a, uh, is going to be this Messiah. He is going to be the, God's anointed. He is going to be uh, the mighty one of God, the son of God. That John was going to come like, like Elijah to prepare the way for the people. That even in the story of, of Mary and Elizabeth, that, that John recognized uh, Jesus while he was still in the womb. That, that again, something was different about this baby. The angelic announcements to Zechariah and to Mary and to the shepherds all told us that something was special about Jesus. This story here tells us that there's something special about Jesus. And again, I want to focus on that, that age of 12. That it's an important detail of the story that this is the age where Jewish boys were preparing to become men. And this was not just in terms of religiosity, of, of taking responsibility and ownership for their faith and for their obedience to the law, that they were just viewed as adults within the, the synagogue. They were viewed as adults, really, within the community of, 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 of not just their faith, but of their neighborhood, their families, of, of where they lived. This is the time where they began to enter into their apprenticeship, into their career, you know, it's kind of like what we might think about today and, you know, people that are graduating high school or college that we begin to think about what, what is it you want to do? What is it you want to focus on in your life? What is it you want to be about? And for many people, that was never a question of, uh, that people asked themselves in the ancient Near East 2,000 years ago. You did what your family did, right? You worked in the family business from the time you were a child. If your parents were fishermen, you tied the hooks, you, you mended the nets, you did whatever was needed in order for the family to survive. And the expectation of Jesus would be the same. And that's an important backdrop here. Because within this context of going down to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, we're also seeing Jesus in a different light now. He is not just the, the kid that disobeys his parents, even though he seemingly does here. He has a reason for that. He is not this bratty 12 years old He is at this point in his life where he is really discovering who he is and what his purpose in life is all about. And that is revealed to us. Now, we don't criticize his parents too much for losing him, right? Did you guys watch Home Alone? It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. At least it's in my top 10, okay, or five maybe. It's a great movie, and, and you kind of think, well, how can, how can a family leave a child behind as they fly off to Europe? Well, they, they painted that picture pretty well for us in the movie, because there was so much chaos, and there was multiple families living in the house at the same time, and they're all missing, and then a, a neighborhood boy came in and, and kind of messed up the counts for, as, you know, for the vans to the airport, and it was a long time later before they even realized that the boy was missing, that Kevin was left home alone. Well, you know, we kind of have a similar story here. A large group of people that travel down to, to Jerusalem, and then when they go back home, they're in a caravan, right? And you start to think, when you have a big family, you think, well, Jesus is probably with his cousins. He's probably with so-and-so. Maybe he's with his neighbor, or friend, or something. You just kind of lose track, and you're assuming that somebody has, you know, is, <laughs> somebody's got their eyes on Jesus. He's got to be around here somewhere. And it's a full-day journey before they recognize that he's not there. And then it's a full-day journey back, but where could he be? Maybe he's with the relatives they stayed with. Maybe Elizabeth's family is still in the area, um, or she's still alive. Who knows? That they're looking for him, and when they find him, they find him in the temple. And and pay attention to this verse. What is Jesus doing in the temple here? Well, it says in uh, verse 46... They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. I think Luke is preparing us for what Jesus is going to do in ministry here, in the way in which he describes what is happening in the temple. He's sitting amongst the teachers, and I think there's a couple ways we can understand that. One way is that he's he's a student, he's an apprentice, he's learning from these rabbis. But another way of understanding is also thinking that he is among them. That in many ways, he is already at their level. That he is almost like a colleague. Because actually, the the rabbis would would teach by sitting. See, I'm standing and you're all sitting. In the the synagogue, the rabbi would sit when he taught. And even in the temple courts, he could sit. And people would gather around. And so perhaps Jesus is sitting amongst colleagues. He's already showing himself himself as being one of them, or at least being a teacher, but a different kind of teacher. He also is listening to them and asking them questions. This is something that we're gonna see throughout Luke's gospel as we go through it. Do you ever notice with Jesus, when, when somebody asks him a question, what does he usually do? He turns it around and asks them a question. Right? Isn't that annoying, right? I mean, it's, it's a great teaching tool, by the way. But it's annoying when you're trying to get the answer. If you're the one asking the question. But this is what Jesus does. He sort of turns it around on them. He asks the questions. And, and he pays attention to what they're saying. And asks the question in a way to challenge perhaps their, their teaching or their thinking. Luke is already setting the, the stage for that. And we see it because when we see that, that they find Jesus doing these things. The very next verse says everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. This is another commonality we see without Luke. We've already seen it the last few weeks. Remember when Simeon gave the prophecy and Anna gave the prophecy about Jesus, their parent, his parents were amazed. They were astonished at what was said about this boy. The shepherds were amazed and astonished. There seems to be, Cindy uh, uh, Glesner uh, preached on this a few weeks ago at, at Radiant, that there was a response when, when people were told about Jesus of amazement and worship and praise. And we see that continuing, and that continues to be a theme throughout Luke. That when Jesus teaches, people are amazed and astonished at what he is saying. Oftentimes, because we're told that he is teaching as one who has authority and not as their teachers of the law. And I always pick up on that, at least from the English perspective of of authority, that the root of authority is author and it helps me understand, too, that, that it's, it's as if Jesus is teaching. He is the author of the book from which he is teaching. Think about that for a second, right? Who wrote the scriptures? Well, not, not man. Man were kind of the, the scribes. God wrote the scriptures. So when Jesus is teaching the scriptures, he's teaching as if he wrote them because he wrote them. Does that make sense? All right. It's not rocket science. It's not an SAT question. It's very simple. Jesus wrote the Bible. I mean, this is about him. This is his story. And so when he teaches, he teaches it very differently. It is not some yahoo like me standing up saying, this is what I think it means. It's the author standing up saying, this is what it means. Anybody watch Sopranos? You don't have to admit it. I know most of you have just by statistics. All right, uh, it's, it's, it's a violent show on HBO. It came out many years ago. Um, but I don't even know why I'm talking about this. I have time. Uh, <laughs> right, don't I? Chris is going, yeah, you got all the time in the world. Um, but the, soprano, the Sopranos, the end of the Sopranos disappointed a lot of people. All right, and and if you watched it, uh, you would know that uh, Tony, the lead character, this mobster, is in this this cafe with his family. And all these things are kind of going on around him. And you know it's the last episode. You know something's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, the screen goes black. And it just stays that way for like five seconds. And then the credits roll. And it's the end of not just the show, but of the whole series. This happened over 20, about 20 years ago. Right, and and I remember talking. I had just watched this. I just finished watching it during uh, COVID, and um, you know, it kind of threw everybody for the loop. And so I immediately went on the internet to say, "What happened at the end of The Sopranos? What happened there?" And and I googled it, and nobody knew. There were all these theories, and people were were saying, "Well, it's because of this. It's because of this. You know, this is this is what it means. Tony was killed. That this happened." And the the person that created The Sopranos, the person that wrote the story, would not divulge the information. He wouldn't say. And literally, just like a month ago, he came out and and revealed what actually happened at the end, of what his intent was, and that was that, yes, Tony was killed. And this was big news if you were a Sopranos fan. I mean, again, after all this time, there was finally a a revelation. Now, what does this have to do with our story today? I don't know. Now, what it has to do, this is what Jesus... This is how Jesus teaches. He reveals the things that are hidden. And when he comes, he reveals these things. And they are astonishing to people because it's not what they expect. They've been rooted in their, in their history, in their law, in their, in their own expectations, their own desires for so long. Jesus shows up and says, this is what it actually is all about. And he's beginning to show this at the ripe young age of 12. And not only are the people astonished, but his parents are astonished. They hear him and they go, what is going on here? And they ask that parental question. Why have you done this to us? Why have you treated us like this? Why do you hate us so much that you would do this to us? And this is Jesus's answer again. He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This is not a snarky, you know, again, 12-year-old answer. This is, Jesus, a genuine question. Like, based upon everything else, I mean, just the stories that we know about in Scripture, right? Mary had an angel appear to her and tell her all of these things. She was miraculously uh, uh, conceived this child, she had uh, shepherds come and 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 prophecies told about Jesus. So you, you know that Christmas carol, that Christmas song, Mary did you know? We were talking about this with my family at at, at Christmas time. And my brother said, "You know, I'm just going to have a shirt that says Mary knew." <laughs> right? Mary knew. Mary knew because she was been told over and over again. So this is not Jesus kind of being a jerk to his parents. He's kind of I think genuinely asking the question like Hey, didn't you know this was part of my calling? Didn't you know this was part of of who I'm going to be? This is, this is going to be, hi choir, I didn't know you're over there. I apologize. This isn't my good side, by the way. I don't have a good side, that's the joke. Anyway, I, I lose my place when I do that. Um, I gotta start over. No, so Mary knew all these things, and Jesus is simply saying, how, how could you not know this is, this is who I am? This is who I am. That Jesus is at this point in his life where he has to decide whose son is he going to be. What business is he going to, to go into? Is he going to go into the uh, what most people see, think is carpentry, but it's probably just building? Is he going to go into the building industry? Is he going to be a carpenter, a mason? Is he going to do the work of his father, his, his, his adopted father? Or is he going to do the work of God? And ultimately, we know the answer. That what Jesus' ministry and purpose ultimately is going to be about is the work of God. And it's revealed in this answer. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Most of us just take that at face value. But there are other translations for this. The Greek is actually ambiguous. I, I had to look this up because I'm not a scholar uh, like, like Chris is in, in, in this. It simply says, didn't you know I had to be in thee of my father. To be in thee of my father. It's kind of like this blank. To be in the blank of my father. Now contextually I think it makes sense to say house. To think of house as the temple. The dwelling place of God. That this is where, where God resides with his people. And talks to them and, and, and interacts with them. That makes sense. But I think there's much more to it than that. And maybe that's why the Greek is ambiguous. Because the other translation is. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Didn't you know I had to be in the household of my father? And to be about the father's business, I think is very different than just being in the house of the father. And this is important to us today, especially, I think, as the church. Because sometimes this is where we start to go maybe off the rails a little bit. We start to lose focus about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Is it enough for us to simply say we are to be in the Father's house? And I think sometimes that's what we do when we think about church as a place or church as a building instead of church as a people is that we lose our focus about what it is we're really doing. See, God did not call us to all get together on Sunday morning in a building like this, as beautiful as it is, as nice as it is to be together with you. Right? And it's okay. It's great that we do this and we are to do this. This is not all there is. Right? There's a bigger purpose in all of this. And that's why we have to be careful in in understanding this. That Jesus is not just saying we need to be in the Father's house and we need to to kind of run in there and, and, and hide. You know, I think if, if that's all we do, then we're kind of like kids who, who never leave the nest. Now, for those, you don't have to raise your hands because your kid might be sitting here with you. But maybe you have empty nesters, you know, kids that, that never seem to leave the house. You know, Jesus is not one of those kids. He's already leaving. He's already starting out on his own, doing, his, doing again, the business of his father, finding his identity. And I think this becomes clearer to us when we understand Luke's gospel as a whole. If you look into uh, the very end of Luke, Luke uh, 19, right before, I should say, the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he enters into Jerusalem, he has this, uh, he tells this story about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, as we know, was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and he climbs up into this this tree to see him, and Jesus calls him down and says, I'm going to, to come and eat in your house today. So I'm going to be in, in your home and eat with you. And and this startled people. And, and the, the religious people in particular couldn't figure Jesus out. Because they said, you're not supposed to do that. He's a tax collector. He's one of the worst. He's the, you know, he's, he's not just a sinner. But he, you know, he sins against his own people. He's betrayed his own people. And Jesus' response in Luke 19.10 is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. When we understand Jesus' mission in the world, I think that surmises it, summarizes it perfectly. To seek and to save the lost. What's the father's business that Jesus is going to be about in his life? To seek and to save the lost. Everything he does, his teaching ministry, his healing ministry, all points us to that end. To seek and to save the lost. As a matter of fact, if anybody's a Bible nerd out there and you're into kind of learning these things, there's a, there's a thing about uh, a term called inclusio, where terms, an author uses a term or language at, to bracket uh, a particular um, uh, part of, of his work. And I think we have an inclusio here about the father's business because the very next thing Jesus says after the Zacchaeus story is he tells a parable to drive home the point about seeking and saving the lost, and it's called the parable of the ten minas or minas. We also hear just 10 as the parable of the talents, just told in a different way. But in that parable, Jesus uh, is, is talking about a master who is going away for a long time, and he gives these minas to his servants, and he says, Go and conduct business with these minas on my behalf. Go and conduct business. And see, this is, I think, the bracket that Luke is drawing for us. That Jesus comes here at 12 years old, talking about the Father's business. And what Luke is going to tell us for the next 17 chapters of his gospel is going to focus on Jesus' ministry that talks about the Father's business. And the Father's business is what? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus' business is to seek and to save the lost. And when he tells us the parable of the ten minas... The servant's business is to what? To seek and to save the lost. And again, if we... Sorry. If we confuse the, the meaning of this passage to mean... To be about... To come to the Father's house. To come into a building. To come together as a, even a community or communities of faith. That's what God's business is about. We've missed the mark. That was never the intent. God's business is to seek and to save the lost. Our business is to seek and to save the lost. And maybe a better way to put it is this. What we do in here is for out there. I don't know where I got it, so I can't tell you, you know, this pastor said it. But I think it's a great saying. What we do in here is for out there. We don't do this for ourselves. We don't come together just for our own purposes or to fulfill our own needs, our own desires. Everything we do should be about the Father's business. And that Father's business is what? To seek and to save the lost. Everything we do in here is for out there so that our mission field is understood as the people around us, the neighborhoods we live in our homes even really the beginning of our evangelistic efforts our mission is in our home it's in our neighborhood it's in our workplaces it's in our communities and it's to those people who are the least and the last and the lost that's the mission that we've been called to as the church not to just come in and and feel good about ourselves or hear the stories that we already know or or hear the gospel again we need those things we have to be reminded of those things each and every week. We have to hear the good news of the gospel so that we can go out and share that with other people. We've said it already in our confession. I don't know where you got that Jesus Creed, but I love it and I'm going to take it. Um, but, you know, we said it at the end of that. We, say, we sang it in the first hymn, right? What are we to do? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. We go our call as Christians is to go and tell people of this good news. See, one of my fears as a follower of Jesus, but also a leader of followers, is that one day God's gonna show up and, you know, like God walks through the doors and just says, what are you all doing here? (laughs) Yeah, thank you, I'm glad somebody got that. (laughs) Like, Like, what are you doing here? This is all good, it's nice, But again, this is not what I've called you. This is the beginning. This is the launch point. You go from here out there. What we do in here is for out there. The good news is not for you just to keep for yourselves. When the shepherds got the good news, they were told to go into Bethlehem and see this thing. And there will be a sign to them. There will be a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And they went and they saw it. And when they saw it, they glorified God. And then did what? Went and told everybody about it. When the woman at the well encountered Jesus and received from him grace and mercy, what did she do? She went and told everybody about it. Totally unashamed of her past. Totally unashamed of her present. Simply saying, there is a man that knows everything about me. Come, I think I found the Messiah. That should be our response. And I think for those of us like me who have grown up in the church, we, 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 we fall into this trap. And I think this is the problem that we're having in modern uh, Christendom today, especially in America, is that we, we fall into the trap of, of this is what Christianity is. Come to church on Sunday. And yet, that's not it. It's the starting point. It's the beginning. It's the launching point. It's where you hear the good news. It's where you invite others to hear the good news but your mission and your ministry is out there to seek and to save the lost. Again, this is, not, this is not unique to just us. This has been the father's business all along. We use adoption language about being brought into God's family. Just as Jesus now understood that he belonged to the family of God and therefore had to be in the father's house and the father's household to be about his business, we have been brought into the father's house. We have been brought in to the Father's family. We are now daughters and sons of the King. And our calling and our job is to carry on the Father's business, not just be in the Father's house. Let's pray. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.